Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 7.04 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 22nd of March, 2022, and this is episode... 561 of Bitcoin and SeedJig.com. That is SeedJig.com. That's, yep, yep, another jig, but this one's made out of metal. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go to SeedJig.com, S-E-E-D-J-I-G.com, where you will find the, <clears throat> the unit that they have built out of metal, which I really like metal things because they hold up very, very well. But it's a jig that will allow you to stamp your private seed words into washers. And there have been a few of these, or at least a couple. Um, one of them is from Crypto Cloaks. It is a 3D printed version of sort of the same thing, but it is 3D printed, so it's plastic. And there's, you know it's probably, you know, it's, it's a good jig. Don't get me wrong. I love the guys over at crypto cloaks, but I have a penchant for metal, you know, steel, nickel, iron. There's just, there's something about the weight of it that I really enjoy. Anyway, Alex flood at ADR flood, F L O O D <clears throat> ADR flood is delighted to announce that they can now, you can now pre-order a C jig 1.0 for the first production run at cjig.com. Uh, there'll be a limited number of a hundred available. So it's possible that they're already sold out, but if this is only the first run and they're already sold out and he would, wouldn't see, I think he, uh, did. Yeah, this was yesterday. And it looks like there may be a possibility that he's already sold out on the pre-orders. Good for you. This is a good problem to have. Uh, so if that is true, then a second uh, second run will be occurring. But it allow it does this. These jigs allow you to stamp uh, individual washers, and I'm talking like the the old-fashioned nickel washers that you get in the store. I mean, they're like you know a dime a piece or something like that. And you can stamp each one <clears throat> front and back with two seed words. So seed word one on the first side and then seed word two on the second side. And then you do all your 12 or 24 seed words and then you can stack those washers in order and uh, bind them with a bolt and nut. And if somebody sees it on a counter or something like that, uh, chances are real good, or at least right now, chances are very good that they won't eat. They'll just look at it and say, I am not going to steal a stack of washers. I, I don't want a stack of washers, not understanding what those washers actually contain. Um, it's, 
it's worth it's worth a look it's a sweet looking it's a sweet looking rig i will give it that it is definitely a sweet looking rig now getting into the news our good friends at the sec have pushed their decision on wisdom trees and one rivers applications for spot bitcoin etfs off into the future Turner Wright tells us more about the SEC's fumbling of Bitcoin spot ETF uh, from Cointelegraph. United States Securities and Exchange Commission has extended its window to approve or disapprove spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund applications from asset managers Wisdom Tree and One River. According to separate Friday filings, the SEC will push the deadline for approving or disapproving a rule change allowing shares of the Wisdom Tree Bitcoin Trust and One River Carbon Neutral Bitcoin Trust to be listed on the CBOE BZX Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange ARCA, respectively. The regulator said it would extend its window for the decision on Wisdom Tree's Bitcoin investment vehicle to May the 15th and One River's to June the 2nd. The spot Bitcoin ETF application from Wisdom Tree followed the SEC rejecting a similar offer from the asset manager in December 2021 after several delays. The regulator said at the time that the BZX exchange did not provide enough data to conclude the crypto market is resistant to manipulation or address concerns about possible sources of fraud and manipulation. Wisdom Tree filed for another spot BTC ETF listing in February 2022. <clears throat> in contrast, One River's BTC investment vehicle will be nearing its final deadline in 2022 after the firm filed for a proposed rule change listing on NYSE ARCA on October the 5th. The commission was expected to reach a decision or extend its deliberation window on the crypto ETF by April the 3rd, but chose to push the deadline for an additional 60 days to June the 2nd, 2022. The SEC has the ability to extend the deliberation window <clears throat> or open the application up to public comment for up to 240 days before delivering a final decision. Quote, the commission finds that it is appropriate to designate a longer period within which to issue an order approving or disapproving the proposed rule change so that it has sufficient time to consider the proposed rule change and the issues raised in the comments that have been submitted in connection therewith, said the SEC regarding One River's application. Regulators in the U.S. have continued to deny applications to list spot Bitcoin ETFs, but also gave the green light to investment vehicles linked to BTC derivatives for the first time in October of 2021. On March the 11th, the SEC rejected crypto ETF applications from New York Digital Investment Group and Global X. However, some BTC strategy ETF applications have had more success with the regulator in 2021 approving the listing of shares of funds from Valkyrie, ProShares, and VanEck. So we are at the time <clears throat> still languishing in the world of fucking derivatives. Sorry to be so damn blunt about it, but derivatives are an evil form of greed that has permeated the financial markets of the world for God, hundreds of years, honestly, have become very, very bad in the last few decades, but they've been around for a long time. And what is a derivative? You don't actually hold the asset itself. You're basically betting in Vegas on what the price is going to do. And honestly, I just, I, I just can't even with this. It's just, 
when you really think about it, some people will say, well, it's important for price discovery. Oh, bullshit. Price discovery comes from buying the freaking asset, you know, not playing around in Vegas on odds and leverage and shit like that on its price. Because honestly, the price, if you disconnect it from the asset itself, doesn't really mean anything. So, and I'm not, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not terribly excited about a spot ETF, but balance of the force must be maintained. And for the ability for people to bet on the deriv you know, derivatives as of a price of an asset, then the balance needs to be set by being able to actually purchase the asset itself as well, if you so choose. And that doesn't look like it's gonna happen anytime soon. So again, not excited about a spot ETF because Bitcoin really didn't need an ETF. You can just buy it. However, because we do have derivatives, the other end of that table needs to be balanced and giving the ability of pension funds and people like that to be able to purchase actual Bitcoin uh, through their vehicles uh, would be an important counterbalance to the fact that any idiot apparently can put 150x leverage on the price of Bitcoin going up or down 1%. And it's just, honestly, it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Anyway, <clears throat> moving on. Bitcoin is peace for the 9-11 generation. The dollar ain't safe. Joe Consorti has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Sunday, April 29th, 2001. For four months and 13 days, I was alive prior to the attacks on September of the 11th. For practically my entire life, the United States has been embroiled in endless conflict. After Afghanistan's refusal to extradite Osama bin Laden, George W. Bush declared war on Al-Qaeda, dubbing the War on Terrorism. This was the next evolution in a series of wars on the abstract. That statement is not to take away from the tremendous grief and tragedy of the situation. Thousands of Americans did lose their lives on 9-11 and thousands more would lose their lives in the decade-long wars to follow. When the United States engages in war in its many forms, how do we finance it? <clears throat> the U.S used to issue war bonds, and in times of strife, the country would band together to purchase these bonds to help our brothers overseas. It was an act of patriotism. However, after the U.S. left the gold peg initially during World War I in 1913, there was no going back. Issuing paper currency during the battle was far easier, especially considering how frequently we'd be going to war in the decades after the Great War. You know, the war to end all wars. To finance war, the government increases the supply of U.S. dollars domestically and abroad, both devaluing its own debt and increasing the invisible monetary burden of the inflation on its citizens. <clears throat> However, this essay seeks to lay out the utility of going to war. Why does the United States roll out its printing press at the first sign of trouble? Why are we seemingly eager to engage in a conflict, whether it's a physical threat abroad or a metaphysical threat at home? Bitcoin offers a solution, a fixed supply of money with no internal control over new issuance in times of great need. Sound money fixes irresponsible spending. Because it introduces a higher price tag to every decision that gets made, this new cost is that of scarcity. Do we dare wager our finite supply of money on this new venture? Bitcoin is difficult to seize. During time of war, 
The government cannot barge into homes and demand families forfeit their Bitcoin, since Bitcoin can be kept privately in a cold wallet using a private key, which can be memorized. Taxation isn't so easy when you can store your wealth in your head. With seizure near impossible, a return to the fiat standard for those acclimated to a Bitcoin standard would be improbable. With sound money, programmatic issuance, and immutable protocol rules, those with the tanks are forced to make prescient decisions about when, where, and why to spend their money. Bitcoin is sound money. The United States has no control over its issuance rules. The government is more than welcome to fire up some ASICs, mint new supply, and capture some transaction fees, but in times of great need, there's no way to magically create money to finance whatever efforts the government deems fit. Since unfettered money printing is no longer an option, this puts a far greater cost on entering new wars, whereas currently the incentives are aligned with going to war, so new money issued means debasement of the national debt at the expense of the currency holder's real wealth. On a Bitcoin standard, however, the incentives are aligned to avoid war at all costs, opting instead to make prudent decisions that are in the interest of upholding security at home. This infeasibility to engage in endless foreign conflict is why Bitcoin represents peace for the 9-11 generation. Your dollars get debased when wartime spending kicks in. When the United States government identifies a threat which they deem a matter of national security, they buck lies with them to lay out the best course of action. According to the Bitcoin standard, by the end of World War I, Germany and Austria had seen 48.9 and 68.9% currency depreciations in comparison to to the Swiss franc which was still, at the time, on a gold standard. In the fiat monetary system, the solution to every problem is to always create new money. Instead of strategizing prudently, the incentives are structured to benefit the central bank if more money is created instead. So think about it. At the time of writing, the United States government is burdened by approximately $30 trillion worth of debt. How do you suppose the United States is planning on paying that down? They won't be austere. No politician would be elected on a platform that limits spending. They can't have every citizen explicitly pay it off through taxes. No politician would be elected on a platform that taxes each citizen over $90,000. They can devalue their debt in real terms by creating new money. Ultimately, the burden lies with the citizens as their savings lose value to the invisible tax of inflation. The government penalizes people trying to opt out of this melting ice cube with capital gains and appreciation taxes. The return to a sound money standard is unlikely at the current moment, given that responsible decision-making from the United States government would be required. So, at the governmental level, the problem of preventing your decaying wealth will not be solved. At an individual level, you can circumnavigate the devaluing of your wealth through savings technologies like Bitcoin. With a fixed 21 million coin supply, rest assured your savings cannot be diluted. Quote, you are welcome to keep your savings in USD, but when bad things happen, they will create more USD, diluting your share of total USD. End quote. Blockware Solutions Bitcoin mining analyst Joe Burnett says... With Bitcoin, your ownership percentage of the asset will always remain constant, your share never diluted. 
When bad things happen, the powers that be fire up the money printers, add to their balance sheet like there's no tomorrow, and pass the flaming hot potato to the population, letting them deal with the imprudent spending. Anybody else getting Marie Antoinette lit the meat cake vibes? In part two, we'll explore some of the abstract wars the U.S. has engaged in over the last half century to build out the case as to why the dollar is not safe and how commodities like Bitcoin represent peace for the war-torn and weary citizens of the United States. <clears throat> so there you go, Joe Consorti. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Joe Consorti, C-O-N-S-O-R-T-I. Joe is spelled the way that you would think it would be spelled. Now... The Fat Man and the Plebs, BIS Joint Pilot Institutions can use CBDCs for international settlements. Prashant Jha or Prashant Jha is writing for Cointelegraph. The Bank of International Settlements Innovation Hub has completed an experimental central bank digital currency platform pilot for international settlement with the central banks of Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, and South Africa. Uh, pausing to note that Malaysia has a, <clears throat> a couple of people in there that's trying to get Bitcoin as a uh, legal tender. So whether that happens or not, we'll have to see. But still, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that they're pushing that while the Bank of International Settlements is entering into a deal with the Central Bank of Malaysia for the CBDC project. Continuing on, the multinational experimental CBDC project, dubbed Project Dunbar, has been developed to facilitate direct cross-border transactions between financial institutions using multiple currencies connected across multiple central banks. The joint CBDC pilot was announced on September 2021, and a final report regarding the same was released on Tuesday. The experimental joint CBDC program turned out to be a success and proved financial institutions can use CBDCs issued by central banks to transact directly with each other on a shared platform. The project took several aspects into consideration before developing prototypes. Some of the key issues that the project is trying to solve include resolving cross-border remittance issues in accordance with the regulatory requirements and bringing in key payment infrastructure across national borders. The project was successful in developing functioning prototypes and demonstrating practical solutions, establishing that the notion of multi-CBDCs was technically realistic. The prototypes proved that the design approaches used to address the three major issues of access, jurisdictional boundaries, and governance were effective. The developers of the project claimed that Project Dunbar illustrated how governance structures enforced by robust technology means can meet important concerns of trust and shared control. Uh, they're never going to let go of control, guys. Andrew McCormick, head of the BIS Innovation Hub Center in Singapore, said, quote, Project Dunbar demonstrated that key concerns of trust and shared control can be addressed through governance mechanism enforced by robust technological means, laying the foundation for the development of future global and regional platforms. Prior to BIS Innovation Hub's multi-CBDC platform, the likes of Switzerland and France experimented with cross-border remittance in a joint venture for a digital euro. Now, the findings of the experimental CBDC program could aid in the adoption of CBDC international settlement for G20 nations. With over 95 nations currently working toward their sovereign digital currency, CBDC use for international settlements could become a reality, especially at a time when many governments are, are, are already looking to build 
alternatives for centralized payment gateways like SWIFT. All right, so <clears throat> what we're being told is that this is a resounding success. What we're not being told is that, honestly, we already have CBDCs in the form of the USD, the Euro, the N, the, I don't know, digital one, Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar. It's all digital to begin with. And it's, it wasn't until Bitcoin came along that it forced their hand to build basically SWIFT 2.0, which is what's going on. There's no difference here. See, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's absolutely no difference except in the speed of transaction. Instead of going through SWIFT, which is ancient, and we're, when I mean ancient technology, guys, I'm talking like this shit was built off of Cobalt and Fortran. And if you don't know those uh, pro names of programming languages, yeah, it's because they were developed in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. All right, so that's how old we're talking about. Still, it doesn't matter. They, it could be built on C++. And honestly, all, you, all you're going to end up getting is the same shit that we already have. There's no difference here. And anybody who says that there is a difference here is either lying or they don't understand what's going on. These people are freaking crazy and they're evil and they are not to be trusted. So it doesn't really matter what these people say. The fight that Bitcoin is fighting at this point marches on. We will figure out and continue to develop a completely different method of doing all this that do that will not allow any kind of governmental control. Yes, there will be regulations. Yes, it will suck. Yes, this. Yes, that. But the essential control of the system will not lie in government. The only thing that they can really do at this point is kill on-ramps and off-ramps into, I don't know, from Bitcoin to whatever fiat currency and from fiat currency to Bitcoin. That's it. That's all they can really do. Once you have Bitcoin, your ability to transact with somebody else who will accept Bitcoin is unfettered. It, it, there's just not much they can do. Of course, they, like all the governments of the world band together and make Bitcoin quote unquote illegal. Yeah, good luck on that. There's like over 170 governments in the world. Do you think they're all going to get into a room and agree? I mean, it was, it was amazing that they were able to get 43 countries in the room to agree on Bretton Woods. And look how that turned out. The United States basically screwed each and every single one of them. When we went off the gold standard, all of their currencies turned into paper fiat because one guy, Nixon, decided in 1971 to take the dollar off the gold standard, thereby wrecking Bretton Woods. How that didn't end up in 42 countries declaring war on the United States, I don't know, but we live in really weird times. Now, <clears throat> the bullish prince of Serbia uh, says that Bitcoin is freedom. Uh, this is Leon Sigmund. He's writing this one for BitcoinNews.com. Prince Philip of Yugoslavia is bullish on Bitcoin and explained his opinion in a recent interview as following, quote, it's only about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is freedom, and this is something I want. Really, end quote. In a recent interview, Serbian prince, Prince Philip of Yugoslavia, also known as Philip, there's no way I'm pronouncing that last name, 
was asked about his job and what he thinks about Bitcoin. To the interviewer's surprise, his highness declared his sole focus on Bitcoin and dismissed all other cryptocurrency. Could Prince Philip of Serbia therefore be the first royal Bitcoin maximalist? Now, that's great news for Bitcoin and the whole world. Now, hopefully the youngsters amongst royal families are following his example and position themselves to support Bitcoin. A re-upload of the fascinating interview could be watched below. No, we're not going to watch it. <clears throat> Here's a transcript. Quote, I work in finance. I work in asset management for an international finance company. The head office is in New York, but I have a big office in London. I'm an analyst. I love to analyze the world. I analyze and tell clients what happens with the markets and what's going on with their portfolios. It's only about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is freedom, and this is something I want, really. And this is something that everyone has to learn. They will learn slowly. Some people will not want to learn it because they're not used to it. They want to protect the system that they're grown into, that they do well in, but they don't realize that their system is not advantageous to everyone else in the world. So billions of people around the world are not having a good time right now. We need to take the money away from the state. Well, I think we need to have hard money again. We need to have good quality money that is not subject to inflation. And as you know, inflation is what really is a problem in this world. Inflation is almost a tax, especially in this moment. Especially since the last financial crisis of 2008, extraordinary stimulus has been pumped into the markets, into the economies, and since Corona, unprecedented amounts of stimulus are being pumped into the economy again. And of course, where is this money going to go? It's going to create inflation. Whereas with Bitcoin, you don't have that. You have a cap of only 21 million Bitcoin that will be produced. And therefore, it's never going to be an inflationary asset. And this helps to protect people. And on top of that, it's censorship free. It's very fungible. You can move it around and it will help people's individual sovereignty again. And this has helped people's freedom, end quote. The Bitcoin prince has already tweeted about Bitcoin and shared some goodies. It's clearly someone to follow if you are into Bitcoin. And here's a a featured tweet of the prince and says, there is no second best Bitcoin at Sailor, which he says, okay, well, okay. <laughs> so Prince of Serbia, how important is he? Probably not. Is he part of royal, is he part of a royal family? Yeah, he definitely is. But how important is he on the royal world stage? I don't know, but at least this guy's got his shit about him, right? I mean, it's Bitcoin only with him. He is a royal. Uh, he is basically expounding what is essentially basic fundamental truths of the modern economy and Bitcoin economy in comparison. So in either event, it's good news. How he's the Prince of Yugoslavia from Serbia, I don't know. I need to study up on world history much better. Texas, although I do know. Texas congressman endorses Bitcoin mining for United States energy independence. Jeff Benson brings it to us from Decrypt.co. Here's the latest Washington, D.C. politician to publicly embrace Bitcoin. Representative Pete Sessions, a 12-term Republican congressman from Waco, Texas. 12 terms. That's 24 years 
if I read that correctly. Anyway, Representative Sessions today tweeted, Bitcoin mining will play a critical role in rebuilding energy independence in the United States. His mini-missive comes three days after Sessions tweeted in language that mirrors Senator Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming, quote, Bitcoin is aligned with American values and will strengthen the dollar, end quote. Sessions should know his state, once synonymous with oil, is the epicenter of a Bitcoin mining boom. According to data from fall 2021, Texas provides the fourth highest hash rate of any state with 14%. But Texas's influence is likely even higher than that figure, given the large mining facilities that have either begun popping up in the past year or are in the works. For example, Argo purchased 300 acres in West Texas last spring while Foundry is partnering with gobbling up solar and hydroelectric firms in the state. So why the Lone Star State? Well, quote, Texas is such a Goldilocks zone for mining Bitcoin that it's unreal, tweeted Coinmetrics co-founder Nick Carter over the weekend, citing supportive policymakers and the state's energy infrastructure. The Sessions is far from the only Texan politician to hail Bitcoin. Texas Senator Ted Cruz has been increasingly aligning himself with cryptocurrency, while Governor Greg Abbott sees Bitcoin mining as a way to stabilize the state's largely deregulated power grid while taking advantage of its large stores of untapped energy, including natural gas that can be burned but not transported. Texas also has plenty of wind and solar power to go around. In all, it has by far the largest net summer capacity of any state with 65% more than number two, which is California, according to the United States Energy Information Administration. And its lawmakers want to use that capacity to bring in money from crypto firms. Quote, it's a wonder that there's mining anywhere else, tweeted Carter. Texas is just unreal in terms of mining sustainability. Actually, suitability, sorry. Texas now has the perfect opportunity to hone its sales pitch beyond the Bitcoin mining firms it's been courting to a larger public that is still forming an opinion on cryptocurrency. After Russia invaded Ukraine, the United States and allied Western countries levied crippling sanctions against the country. Slight problem though, Russia supplies an estimated of 8% of the world's oil. Therefore, these sanctions plus voluntary pullouts from companies looking to decrease their exposure to public blowback or inadvertent sanctions violations has helped push energy prices upward while reigniting Republican calls for the United States to become energy independent. In this line of thinking, there's no need to worry about the consequences of sanctioning Russia if the United States doesn't need the energy it provides, though it can still be hit with higher prices put on imports from countries that do. Sessions clearly aligns with this view, and he, along with a growing group of Texas politicians, is pushing his state to get it done. So Nick Carter's statement that his, he wonders why there's no mining anywhere else is problematic at best. And don't get me wrong, I like Nick Carter. One of the most violent people in Bitcoin, but I still like Nick Carter very much. But that statement kind of rankles me. You want decentralized mining. You don't want all the mining in Texas. I don't want all the mining in Texas because while I'm a Texan and believe me, I was born here. I was raised here. I lived here. I don't really ever want to leave here. And God, I hope I actually die here. I want nothing more than the very best for Texas. However, one thing trumps that, and that's the very best for Bitcoin. And the very best for Bitcoin is not 
to centralize the mining in a single state in the middle of a single country. That's not what this shit's about. Let's run the numbers. All right, CNBC, futures and commodities. West Texas Intermediate up 0.6% to $112.80. Brent North Sea is also up 0.6% to $116.36. Natural gas up two points to $4 and, oh, it just flipped over to $5 even. Gasoline up 0.16% to $3.37 a gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks mixed gold down a quarter of a point to $1,924.60. You know, even at a time of threatened nuclear war, gold still can't hit an all-time high. There's probably something to be said about that. Silver down 1.28% to $24.99. Platinum is down 1.25%. Copper is up 0.6%. And palladium is up 0.5%. Ag is mixed. Wheat being the biggest winner. Yes, it is. It's the biggest winner. 3.1% to the upside. Soybean is up a half. Sugar is down a half. Coffee is up 0.8%. Cotton is down 0.7%. And chocolate rebounding today, 2.42% to the upside. Let's see what the indices are saying. Oh, 0.37% to the upside for the Dow. And the S&P is up 0.17%, 0.17%, NASDAQ down 0.02, and the S&P mini up a quarter of a point. Real money having a good day today, $42,915 with 266,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,000 transactions every hour on the hour, and 782,000 BTC have been transacted in these 24 hours. That's 32,600 BTC every hour on the hour with 2.94 BTC being the average transaction value. The median transaction value 0.013 BTC or about 550 bucks. Block times are hideously low, eight minutes and 50 seconds. 0.06 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 10 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 2.24% drop in hash rate. We are still at 210.7 exahashes per second. Dogecoin is your shitcoin indicator and it is now back into the 12 range. It is in fact 12.4 United States pennies. 7,260 transactions are waiting on four blocks to clear. We have an $813.4 billion market cap, which is 6.44% of gold's entire market cap. And you may buy 22.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,990,535.9 of. 3,531 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $151.3 million, being run over 2,000, nope, 20,129 nodes, representing 85,008 payment channels. 75.1% of all that's being run over 11,581 Tor nodes, and that's going to do it for idols.
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. $1.2 billion worth of Bitcoin leaves Coinbase in a single week. Rustin Watt is writing this one for BitcoinNews.com. The massive Coinbase outflows totaling $1.2 billion last week demonstrate the active engagement of institutions. Large institutional investors are beginning to feel more at ease with Bitcoin and they are pouring millions of dollars into the asset class. Over the course of the past couple of years, several of the world's largest and most well-known financial institutions have gained exposure to Bitcoin. Retail investors appear to have lost interest in Bitcoin as a result of the prolonged whipsawing. Institutional investors, on the other hand, tend to have long-term perspective and are not concerned with short-term gains. According to the statistics given by the on-chain analytics tool Glassnode, the lack of retail attraction is accurate. To be specific, during the previous week, an eye-watering 31,000 Bitcoin valued at roughly $1.2 billion was transferred away from the Coinbase exchange. This is the greatest net outflow recorded since the beginning of 2017. It is a signal that investors now see Bitcoin as a new legitimate investment asset of significance. The enormous influx of users has resulted in a significant reduction in the overall amount of Bitcoin stored on the San Francisco-based exchange, which is now around 650,000 BTC. This is the same level as it was during the zenith of the bull market in 2017. In addition, Coinbase's overall Bitcoin holdings have fallen by 36.6% since reaching a record high in April 2020, according to the company. A third point made in the Glassnode study is that such huge outflows are part of a continuous pattern with regard to Coinbase balance. Furthermore, being the largest publicly listed U.S.-based exchange as well as the largest crypto exchange in terms of Bitcoin reserves, this lends credence to the hypothesis that Bitcoin is being accepted as an asset by significant institutional customers. The illiquid supply shock ratio has experienced a significant increase during the previous week. In other words, the coins that have been relocated have really been transferred to wallets with no history of being used. Since November, the cryptocurrency market has seen unprecedented volatility with the price of Bitcoin dropping from an all-time high of 69000 to nearly half of that amount in less than four months, sparking an increase in feelings of fear, uncertainty, and doubt, of course. Nonetheless, it is evident that institutional adoption of Bitcoin as a fundamental piece of the global financial system is continuing to grow at an exponential rate. The adoption of Bitcoin continues to gain momentum and institutions continue actively engaging in the market. Better get your sats before the whales do. Yeah, that's actually a really, that's actually a very, very good tip. And speaking of tips, Bitcoin.news has installed, and I just noticed this, uh, the ability to tip your author uh, at the very end of these articles. And it takes me to, oh, it takes me to Sats for Life's um, tipping.me page. So I can tip him right here. Sweet. I'm not going to do it right now, but I'm going to leave him up. I'm going to put him up to the back of my list here, maybe give him a tip. Um, what else do we have? Oh, I don't want to do that one just yet. Let me put him back there. Okay. What the HubSpot Bitcoin company data breach means for you. It's not good. Bitcoin Magazine. Don't get scared, guys. Don't get scared. I mean, bad shit is always going to happen. So just get used to it. When bad shit happens, though, always remember 
store your Bitcoin under your private keys. That's the bet. That's the very best thing you can do. All right. And honestly, if you can do it in a multi-sig fashion, probably even better. Here we go. You've undoubtedly seen the recent news of the HubSpot data breach targeting Bitcoin and cryptocurrency companies and are likely wondering what it all means. As someone who has worked deeply as a HubSpot super admin designing internal systems and managing sales and marketing teams using these tools for over seven years, I want to debrief you on what the current status of the breach is as I see it and on what this means for you as a customer in this space and what you can do about it. Most individuals don't understand the power of a CRM. At minimum, these tools allow companies to acquire, sort and manage incoming customers and their data in a way that provides the best user experience. At maximum, these tools are capable of an extreme degree of web monitoring and AI-based user segmentation and prediction. While HubSpot has already published a rundown of what happened during the leak here, I'd like to explain what this means from my perspective as a HubSpot super admin and for someone whose data is potentially in one of the approximately 30 compromised databases. So what happened in the HubSpot data breach and what data might be compromised? Four points. One, HubSpot has a level of access called super admin on both the internal and external sides of its platform. Two, Someone internal to HubSpot with super admin access had their account compromised. Three, super admin access internally allows someone to hop between company accounts and export contact lists and potentially all associated CRM data. The unauthorized user exported contact lists and associated information belonging to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency companies, including NYDIG, SWAN, and BlockFi. While it's true that financial data is not stored in the CRM, you should be aware that data associated with users of these companies and their behaviors is logged in the CRM. This puts users in a unique position to be targeted in social engineering attacks. Following are a few examples of the types of data that can easily be stored in a CRM system and may have been exported in this recent data breach. IP addresses email histories with representatives at the associated companies and any messages or notes those representatives have on customers and their accounts, customers browsing behavior on associated company websites, mailing and or shipping addresses. Guys, that's the important one. Mailing and or shipping addresses. How customers are characterized internally by companies, as in big buyer, whale, mid-size contact, small user, etc., etc. Individual customers' financial value to the companies, any and all deals customers have done with compromised companies and any associated values, email negotiations, or contacts, help tickets or request customers have logged with compromised companies. See, is there anything else? Yeah. Okay. So let's pause right there to kind of get a, 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 let's kind of boil this down just a little bit. Your IP address, the, the, how much you bought, if you're classified as a whale and your home address or business address. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good at all. So let's see what he says about this. When data is exported from a CRM, it typically comes in a standard database format. 
and this can take the shape of a common CSV or XLS file. Because of this, migrating data from one CRM to the next is often as easy as exporting, re-uploading, and tagging appropriate data headers, i.e. first name, last name, etc., etc. Fortunately, it appears financial data have not been compromised in this recent breach. However, the loss of user persona and behavioral data is pretty severe. At minimum, you should expect to be targeted with spear phishing and spam attacks going forward. Should a bad actor wish to execute a social engineering attack on you, they may contact you with extremely specific information about your name, location, services used, and even your behavior on company websites. Be wary of anyone contacting you via email or phone going forward and be sure that any and all representatives contacting you are actually associated with the companies they claim to speak for. If you are a high value customer of a compromised company in this space, I recommend contacting your company rep immediately to verify what data has been breached, what internal classifications that company has on you, and what you can do to enhance security in your communications going forward. For super admins of companies using HubSpot, I recommend disabling employee visibility into your account and contacting your representative to discuss further removing access permissions on your data. We have yet to see how HubSpot is going to handle this unfolding situation, and I would expect the first course of action is to strictly limit who has view and especially export permissions of company data. Overall, the best course of action for everyone in this space is to use privacy best practices when browsing, buying, and communicating online. This brief article won't be able to delve into that topic. An unfortunate truth of the hyperconnected digital universe that we live in is that any data you share can and will be stolen. Stay vigilant, and if you aren't already, begin implementing privacy and security best practices into all of your personal data and online behaviors. Now, that's the end of the article. Uh, if you really want to get into privacy best practices, um, I highly recommend you look up on Twitter, Matt O'Dell, Shinobi, at least. Those two guys at the very minimum. There's, there's way more. There's Janine. I think it's Janine Roem9 is on Twitter, uh, R-O-E-M, I think. And if you search Twitter for Janine and Rome, you'll probably hit her. And I'm, I've, I, feel, I feel that there's a nine in her name somewhere, like the number nine. She's really good. That's all she does is talk about privacy. I mean, this chick doesn't even carry a freaking cell phone on her. She's like, she's that good. She really knows what she's doing. So Matt O'Dell, Shinobi, and Janine are the people that you're looking for for privacy best practices. Be aware, that is a rabbit hole all by itself. The Chinese internet giants are removing NFT platforms fearing government crackdown. Yeah, like that wasn't going to happen. Prashant Jha has this one for Cointelegraph. China's leading social media platforms and internet giants have updated their policy to restrict or remove non-fungible token platforms, citing a lack of regulatory clarity and fearing government crackdown. Chinese social media giant WeChat reportedly removed several digital collectible platform accounts for violations of the rules. Digital collection platforms Zoo Number 1 and of the hyped NFT projects on the market was, removed, uh, was among the removed platforms. 
Another platform called Danga Hyundai, there's no way I'm pronouncing it, revealed that its official app has been banned, reported a local news source. Whale Talk, a digital collectible platform launched by tech giant Ant Group, also updated its policy to increase the penalty for using an over-the-counter desk for trading NFTs. It is important to note that even though NFTs are not necessarily banned, any form of speculative trading associated with the digital collectible derived tokens is still prohibited. An excerpt from the Google Translated report read, quote, under the background that the compliance of digital collections is not clear, Many platforms have begun to actively crack down on violations to prevent further fermentation of related behaviors, end quote. Okay, that's really all you need to know is that there's a massive China tra- crackdown on shit coins and NFTs and all kinds. Of, I mean, it's just going to go on and on and on because they don't want any competition with the digital wand. They want complete control over their citizenry, which which always begs the question of why the hell does it do the Chinese people and the United States people and the European people and the Australian people put up with this shit? What? Honestly, why aren't there more? I mean, there's like zero, there's almost no revolutions going on. None. And I think we've entered into a time where we've basically been lulled into this false sense of security for so long that what we didn't see is that our own governments are, have been stockpiling the most lethal weapons on the face of the planet, and they have literally no compunction of using them on their own citizens. And I think that that's what's keeping, I think that's what's keeping the entire world's population in check on all this. But it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and at one point or another, shit is going to hit the fan. And it's going to hit the fan in the form of several revolutionary wars. And I think they're going to occur all at once. I think it's going to be, you know, I I think, you know, I think like uh, there wasn't, you know, in the past, and I'm talking like 1700s, 1800s, 1600s, you know, when revolutions did happen, that they didn't ignite world revolutions because the lines of communication were so slow. By the time the Russian Revolution started, it took weeks for that news to get, you know, to all the other places in the world. So, and now that all the governments are being extraordinarily repressive and communication is damn near instant, I don't see that, that model of isolated revolutions holding in the future. What I see is we get compressed to the point where it just takes one stopcock to blow off and the pressure starts to release and everything explodes at the exact same time. Like everybody's like, dude, I've had enough because the information of the revolution that did start everything is instantaneous as well as the compression that we're all under. So I expect a world revolution sometime within my lifetime. Now I'm not happy about the following. Um, but it is, it is, this is endemic of the world that we live in. This is from Bitcoin magazine and who's writing this thing. Oh, Nomsios is writing it. Bold credit card spend against Bitcoin collateral. You should already have the hackles on the back of your neck standing straight up. I have no idea what this shit's about, but Nomsios is going to tell us more. Bitcoin company bold announced on Thursday that it would launch a credit card to enable customers to spend against Bitcoin held as collateral and earn BTC rewards on every purchase. 
The offering differs from products made popular over the past couple of years because instead of allowing users to spend their Bitcoin, it encourages them to hodl their coins and spend fiat money like U.S. dollars instead. Quote, the bold card lets you spend on a line of credit collateralized by Bitcoin held in collaborative custody, the offering's webpage reads. Bold leverages two of four multi-signature setup to secure users' funds, a collaborative custody method that is more secure and transparent than completely centralized alternatives as the customer can independently verify the conditions of their funds. The setup also changes what has become an industry standard. While some providers of Bitcoin-backed loans leveraging collaborative custody have commonly opted for a two-of-three multi-setup, uh, in which case the user holds one key, the company another, and the capital agent holds the third, Bold chose to add a fourth key held by a law firm that can function as a neutral arbitrator. Quote, this key never gets touched unless there is some doomsday scenario, Bold founder Zach Parday told Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, in that scenario, the arbitrator can allocate the collateral to its rightful owner. This protects customers against counterparty risk of bold and its capital provider and provides a layer of assurance for all parties, he added. Bold has never rehypothecated collateralized Bitcoin, partly said on Twitter, rehypothecation, uh, or sorry, said on Twitter. Rehypothecation is a practice where the custodian lends client assets held as collateral to earn interest. However, it increases risks for the customer as it adds yet another third party. Parlet, par, uh, Parday told Bitcoin Magazine that Bold was born from the question, quote, how can we use existing infrastructure to make the best possible payment system for Bitcoiners that works right now, end quote. Quote, it turns out that a Bitcoin-backed credit card does just that, and it has the added benefit of allowing customers to avoid the capital gains tax implications of spending Bitcoin outright. Parday was getting his MBA on technology product development when he met his co-founder, Vijay, or Vijay, who was getting a Master's of Engineering at Computer Science at Cornell Tech. The duo later, sorry, the duo later on brought advisors to the team with experience in legal securities and consumer finance, as well as one who had implemented a Bitcoin wallet. Quote, we're all Bitcoiners, Party said. Bold is currently having confidential conversations to select its capital partners for the offering, and the company will share details once things are finalized, Parday said. Okay, guys, look, borrowing against your Bitcoin is one thing, and it's bad enough all right, and, and, and I don't mean that it's bad. It, it depends on what you're going after. If you're going to start a business and you need capital and you've got Bitcoin and you, that puts you in a, a really good position to use this particular kind of instrumentation to its fullest extent in your favor. But a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people just hey, say, hey, I've got Bitcoin. I don't want capital gains. I'm going to take out a loan. And then they spend that money like water on lunch and dinner and hotel rooms and a vacation and shit that they're never going to get back. And then they're on the hook for that Bitcoin. So they end up losing the Bitcoin. The other thing that really sucks about situations like this is you collateralize Bitcoin on a loan at a certain price and then the price drops by 50%. And if you've been in this game long enough, you've seen that multiple fucking times. All right, that is a given. Borrowing against your Bitcoin at $69,000 to watch it crash to 33,000 and have your shit called 
is not a good situation, even if you are using the instrumentation to its fullest extent for your benefit, like by starting a company or possibly buying a house. You, that's actual finance. That I get. But this one scares me to death because those situations, in, you ended up with a lump sum of cash. This instrumentation allows you to peel off little pieces of cash as a line of credit on a piece of plastic that you have in your billfold that is borrowed against your precious Bitcoin. I would stay as far away from this product as I possibly could until every single parameter is set in fucking stone and people have been using it for a year or two years and find out what their experience is. Because without those, without those data, you are playing with fire. I'm serious. You don't want to have anything to do with shit like that. Uh, what, okay, here we are. The days of crypto being off of Washington, D.C.'s menu are very quickly coming to an end, says Andrew Yang. Written by Daniel Roberts, published by Decrypt.co. Let's fucking go. Before the rise of Bitcoin mayors like Francis Suarez in Miami or Eric Adams in New York City, there was pro-crypto presidential candidate Andrew Yang, the Venture for America co-founder who counted Bitcoin, math, and universal basic income among his main talking points. After unsuccessful runs for president in 2020 and New York City mayor in 2021, Yang is now focused on his forward party PAC and his lobbying DAO, Lobby 3, which aims to use crypto to spur change in Washington. And Yang says the change is coming in the form of crypto regulation, whether the industry is ready or not. On the latest episode of Decrypt's Good Morning podcast, he described crypto regulation in Washington as an oncoming train that cannot be stopped, and the only question left is, What's the cargo? The Biden White House recent executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets suggests that he's right, though the gist of the executive order was more of a call to action of agencies to get on the same page than a concrete proposal for what those rules will be. Quote, the days of folks saying there shouldn't be any regulation in this space are ending, Yang said. The days of being off of DC's menu or radar screen are very, very quickly coming to an end. And so the question is, what will the rules be? Will they be intelligent guardrails that help manage the risks and, frankly, mainstream some aspects of Web3? Or will they be unmindful of the positive side of ledger in terms of innovation, jobs, technical developments, and push a lot of this stuff offshore. No one's quite sure where this is going to land. Yang's argument is that representatives from the crypto industry need to band together to get on the same page, much like the regulators, and work with Washington to ensure rules won't be draconian. Quote, the value difference is so immense that it seems to me to be common sense to try to paint a broader, more holistic, more accurate picture of the community and the uses of the technology so that the regulations fall somewhere on, as a friend of mine put it, the non-insane realm, Yang said. Lobbying for openness towards crypto in D.C. will be a challenge, since Yang guesses that the number of people in Washington who have crypto wallets 
is vanishingly small. He also acknowledges that certain prominent politicians have repeatedly made statements about crypto that indicate hostility or negative attitudes. I have it on reasonably good authority that that attitude is shared by a variety of people within the Treasury Department and the SEC. So if you just let nature take its course, I'm going to suggest that the result might be very, very unfriendly, end quote. Is there any more? No, that's the end of the article. So Yang's right on one point. The regulation is coming and the regulation will probably be idiotic. Uh, because half the people that do regulations, they can't even regulate the leg the legacy financial system, even though that they're they grew up in the legacy financial system. So there's no hope that they understand Bitcoin or anything like it. Um, but on the other hand, I have said it on many occasions, and I will say it on many more. Bitcoin is an emergent technology, and what that means is that by itself, Bitcoin does nothing. However, you put it into close proximity with something like, oh, I don't know, say a few million human brains, and all of a sudden, emergence happens. There will be people who are just, here's what they'll do. They will dedicate their life and limb to developing tools for Bitcoin that do not change the consensus rules of Bitcoin in order to stymie and stonewall any and all regulations from any and all governments. Will it always work? No. Will they be good tools? Some of them. Will they be useful and be used by the great greater population of the world? Doubtful, but there will always be some that do. My point is, is that both Yang is wrong in that we should band together to make sure that that regulation is friendly. You should do that. You should also do something else where you don't band together and you code the living shit out of yourself to the point that all regulations, whether agreed upon by a crypto industry group of people, work or not. There should always be two sides of this. You should probably push to make nice with the people in Washington, D.C. But if that is your only weaponry, you're going to lose. It's the coding side. Yang needs to be calling for coders to band together to make regulation damn near impossible. And whether he says it or not, it's going to happen. And there's always going to be a fight. We're entering, we're entering a war of attrition at this point, and it's going to be a long one. We're talking about centuries-long war of attrition. The better you can code, the more attrition you will see from the other side. And that means that they will lose people. They will have people just become uninterested in trying to regulate something because all the hard work that they put into it, their regulation, gets scuttled by some 14-year-old eating a Twinkie in his basement. I'm telling you, man. You cannot stop the power. People talk about how Bitcoin is unstoppable. I submit to you that it's not Bitcoin that's unstoppable. It's the theory and the idea of that which is the emergent property of a system, especially when two systems start rubbing up against each other. With that, that's going to do it for the morning roundup.
Well, we're coming up on, well, actually we're past an hour. Wow, 62 minutes. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to remind everybody that if you want to support the show, and God knows I could use the support, uh, you can use the my Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Um, I've got it set to where you can just sign up for a buck. You know, I mean, that's what I'm really asking for is like, you know, a dollar per person. I mean, if you think that being able to listen to the news instead of having to sit your, you know, your happy ass down and read the damn news is value to you, well, consider cutting me a buck a month, right? Also, if you don't even want to do that, because that is legacy system, you can always do it through podcasting 2.0, which is my favorite thing to do. Fountain app, uh, Breeze, the Breeze wallet has a podcaster, uh, podcast app inside of it, as well as, oh God, what is it? Oh, I can't remember the name of it right now. I know you're screaming at me. It doesn't matter. Pick up any one of the, what are now 20 or so podcasting apps that are podcasting 2.0 enabled. And you can stream me Satoshis from that podcasting apps wallet directly to my lightning node. And it is again, my favorite way to have this show supported because I can actually see those sats stream in as you're listening to the show. Um, is there anything else? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, uh, if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, I am at Ghost of Nunya, N U N Y A, Ghost of Nunya on Twitter. And if you want to DM me, my DMs are open. If you want to just, I don't know, pummel me in public, that's fine too. I'm, I'm always up for a good battle. Um, with all that said, dude, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.